A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. So we've got a bit of a different episode for you today. The news coming out of Ukraine has shocked and surprised us all. And I've been really thinking about who we can trust with these kind of questions. Um, Which sources can we put faith in? Has it changed our view of how credible the establishment is? And someone who's been having thoughts about that is a friend and a host of a different channel, Trigonometry, and his name is Konstantin Kissin, and he joins us. Hi, Konstantin. Hey, Sprody, thanks for having me. So I saw a Twitter thread that you had posted where you were sort of explaining how you felt the anti-establishment or alternative voices and media have basically got this Russia question wrong. Tell us about that. Well, uh, the thread did concentrate somewhat on that, but the thread also concentrated on how the mainstream media have got this wrong as well. Uh, And uh, my my central argument is, I think, uh, there are different reasons for for the mainstream getting it wrong versus the the old media. I think the old media got it wrong because we're all stuck in this culture war bubble where we interpret everything through the prism of the other things we already believe. And so it's been kind of strange and also humbling in a way for me to watch because a lot of people that I'd normally agree with uh, are really not very clued up on this particular issue and are just frankly embarrassing themselves over the last couple of weeks. And the reason they're doing that is not because they're bad people or because they're stupid or because of anything like that. The reason they're doing this is it fits what they already believe. And what they already believe mainly is the mainstream media is constantly lying to them, which it is. The mainstream media is not trustworthy, which it's not. Uh, the, The politicians that talk to us are not telling us the truth, which they're not. And therefore, anything the media say, anything the politicians say is automatically untrue. Now, as a heuristic, this doesn't work very well because it prevents you from seeing the truth from the lies. So that's the alt media. The mainstream media have got this wrong because, uh, I mean, I think they're probably just lazy. Uh, Vladimir Putin, you talk about who should we listen and trust on this. Vladimir Putin did an hour speech on Russian television, which was translated into every major language in the world a few days ago, in which he told you exactly what was going to happen. Exactly. And when you say people are shocked and surprised, I don't understand why. Because all you need to do is spend an hour listening to what he said, and you would know that what I predicted would happen, which is there would be an invasion, that it wouldn't stop in the east of Ukraine. Uh, And we can talk more about what he said in that speech. But basically, it's just laziness. I think no one in in Western media has an hour to sit down and listen to a politician talking. I mean, I I confess that I have also been unsure in the last few weeks because, you know, part of our job, I feel, is to probe the kind of establishment narrative and make sure to question it. And you're right that there were voices both on the left and the right 
definitely the kind of anti-war left, but also the what you'd call the populist right, the kind of Tucker Carlson end, were very much of the line that this is all a kind of American fantasy, or it's all in some way propaganda, it's they're going to benefit from it somehow, the invasion's never going to happen. We had Nigel Farage, who's recently been on your show today, kind of eating humble pie because he was saying, I didn't think this would happen, and it has. What should we conclude from that? Is it that in, on questions of kind of intelligence, military intelligence, people like the United States government still hold all the cards and the rest of us are kind of scrabbling around and they knew quite clearly and said this would happen. Um, and a lot of people who are sort of more in the pundit end just didn't know anything better. Well, I, as I say, I think the one thing I've taken away from it for myself is that I think I ought to refrain from commenting on things I don't understand. I think a standard if, that we ought to all try and abide by, and we haven't been. Uh, there's a lot of us now who sort of feel like I think every issue we are supposed to have an opinion about, and I get invited on TV and podcasts and radio that I've been turning down in the last few months because I've already been aware of this trend that we're all increasingly asked to comment on things that we don't really understand. But how do we how do we pass an event like this? And by the way, I'm glad Nigel is is come out and said that because we him and I had a big argument about this on our show. And this was the one major area of where we had a big bust up about it. I just I, I think actually the information is there, uh, but you have to try and uh, you have to try and look for uh, for for sources of information that you know, people who have an understanding of the history of the region, who maybe speak the language, who maybe have been there at least. If you think about journalism 20 or 30 years ago, the people who'd be talking to you are people who'd been embedded in that country for 20 years. They understood the local language, the customs, the politics, the history. And right now, as you well know, you know, television is made mainly by 20 year olds. Uh, you see the older faces in front of the screen, but behind the scenes, it's very young people. We, we've been living in a dream world, Freddie. We've been living in a world in which we imagine that you know, things like, can you transition from one sex to another? And all of that is much more important than real world stuff like land, money, espionage, power, oil, etc. And I think and hope that this is an opportunity for that veil to be lifted from our eyes. Yeah, so I, I want to come on to the kind of actual situation in a second. But since we're both in the business of kind of looking for voices and trying to find who we should be bringing in front of the audience, are you worried that this conversation will not be popular with either of our audiences. I mean, do you think, you know, we, I tuned into the live stream you did earlier and some of the comments as you were talking were, were kind of saying the opposite. You know, that we've, it was sort of Russia has the land, deflection and diversion tactics, Uncle Vlad rules, the Chinese will bail Russia out, Western propaganda, etc., etc. Are you, you now going to have a kind of battle with your audience on, on this Russia question, do you think? I never care uh, about what people think about what I say. I try to say the truth as I see it. Now, often I fail to, to live up to that because I don't know all of the things that are true. Let's lay it down then. What is mm. the raw situation as you understand it? it? What is your attitude to what's happened in the past 24 hours? Well, rather than my own attitude, and I think it's important for me to explain that, you know, I have family in both Russia and Ukraine, but I'm not talking about it from the perspective of what's best for Konstantin Kissin's family or anything like that. I'm interested as someone who lives in the West, who's a citizen of this country, who wants the UK and America to be strong and powerful and capable and the values that we uphold here to be defended and protected. I want us to be in as good position as we can be. So everything I'm saying is from that position. 
Now, Vladimir Putin's speech, which he gave two, two days ago, in which he explained his rationale, uh, was extraordinary. Uh, we've never heard anything like this in this country, certainly in my lifetime, where a politician spends an hour laying out the history of the region and why this happened and why that happened. But the basic points that he, he makes in the speech are this. Number one, the existence of Ukraine is a historical mistake. Uh, it's a mistake that results from weak decisions made by weak Soviet leaders, starting with Vladimir Lenin. And these are decisions that he has no reason to respect. Uh, because they were mistakes and they were made for bad reasons and they were ahistorical. And the reason he says that is in his conception, the Russian people, the Russian nation was split up artificially and a piece of the Russian nation was portioned off and put together with a bunch of territories that used to belong to Hungary and Poland uh, and merged into what we now call Ukraine. So it, Ukraine shouldn't exist is what he's essentially saying. And when he says it was put together with Polish and Hungarian land, what that tells you is at least half of Ukraine and probably more, certainly up to and including Kiev and maybe beyond, is in his sights. So this isn't going to end in those two eastern regions in Donetsk and, and Lugansk. It's going to carry on if, if he is able to carry it on. And we should probably say that that claim of his is highly dubious, in fact, just wrong. Uh, is it not that, you know, I mean, Ukraine, as far as I understand, was there, you could say, before Russia and is, a, a you know, has been a complex, evolving historical entity like a lot of places in Eastern Europe. But the idea that it was like created by Russia is hard to defend. Look, the, the, the history of this region is very, very difficult. Uh, I, I don't we don't have the time to get into the nuances of that. I think the the important thing to consider here is not who who is historically entirely accurate or not, but rather should a neighbor invade a neighbor because it has some historical claim against its territory. That's really the question. So you don't because, you don't reject the Putin narrative. Uh, I I think that there are elements of which are true. I think there are elements of it which are untrue. But he makes the claim, and this is the second part where I think we start to get into uh, things that are less true. Uh, is he talks about the Russian ethnic people and Russian speakers in Eastern Ukraine being genocided. That's what he's saying. And he goes on then to claim that Ukraine is about to launch an attack. He also talks about, he mentions the CIA more than David Icke in that, uh, in that speech. And he talks essentially about how Russia is being enclosed by the West which is expanding NATO, and NATO is not a defensive alliance in his view. Uh, NATO is an aggressive force that wants to put as many missile bases as close to Russia as possible. Um, and these missile bases are not defensive in nature. Uh, they are in order that the Americans can strike in the heart of Russia with nuclear weapons at any point in time. And he literally says this in terms. So what he's essentially saying is it, he, he, he has launched us into a second Cold War. Um, we are, best case scenario, now in Cold War II, and we should act accordingly. Let's just respond to those claims again, though. I mean, what's your reaction to that? I mean, there's, there's a lot in there, but I think the claims of genocide and imminent attacks from Ukraine, I think we can safely say, do not appear to be true. Well, as a friend of mine in Ukraine put it to me, uh, we waited until Putin had 200,000 troops on the border before attacking. Right. I mean, that seems unlikely, doesn't it? And this NATO thing is, is one of the big talking points, isn't it? Those people, and they range from kind of, well, Nigel Farage we've mentioned, but Peter Hitchens, Glenn Greenwald, th those kind of people will say that it was hubristic expansion of NATO 
by the West in the 90s and beyond that have kind of provoked the Russian bear, and that in some way this is a this is a the fault of of the the powers that controlled NATO. Do you think that's true? I think there's an element of truth to that, but I think it's entirely the wrong frame for looking at the situation. Uh, I'm not interested in Russia, and I'm not interested in what Russia wants, and I'm not interested in what provoked Russia. I'm interested in what the West is doing. And I want the West to be the dominant power in the world. I want Western values to be the dominant values in the world, because having come from another part of the world, I can tell you they're much better. They're better than the values of Russia. They're better than the values of China. And I'm not interested in how provoked Russia or China are by the West asserting its dominance around the world. I want Western dominance around the world. Now, as for whether Russia is a bear that's been provoked, I don't think that's the right frame to look at it at all. Russia is not a bear, Russia is a wolf, uh, and it's hungry. And the reason NATO is expanding eastwards is that Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania all have Russian-speaking minorities that can be weaponized in exactly the same way that the Russian minority in Ukraine has been weaponized. They all used to be part of the Soviet Union, having been annexed by Stalin while the Europe was busy dealing with Hitler. And so they see this coming, and Ukraine saw this coming, which is why they were so desperate to join NATO in the first place. And, this and it's argument, worth saying, just to quickly interrupt there, that there were examples of Russian kind of territorial expansion before the NATO expansion. Course, like there were regions of Georgia and elsewhere that became controversial, and were, there, were, there were wars. Yes. And by the way, if you want to talk about promises the West made and then broke, yes, the West promised Russia not to expand NATO eastwards, but it also promised Ukraine that in in exchange for Ukraine giving up the one thing that would have protected Ukraine, its nuclear weapons, they made Ukraine give those weapons away and said, we will protect you. Right. So those promises have been broken as well. Right. This is what you've got to understand. But in terms of the expansion of NATO, uh, you know, I don't understand how Russia is safer from NATO by moving its border further west so that it's closer to NATO. That doesn't make any sense to me. If you're concerned about NATO missile silos in, 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 in Eastern Europe, well, you've just moved your border closer to them. How does that make Russia safer? I mean, safer? I suppose their rationale will be their sort of demilitarizing and de-weaponizing that zone so they can have a kind of, they can police their own neutral zone or something like that. That would be the internal rationale. Yeah. The big question has to be, if you want Western values to succeed, if you want the West to assert itself, how is it going to do that? That's where it's hard to find much by way of practical advice, because no one seems to be saying, let's put boots on the ground. I mean, I literally haven't even heard the kind of neocons saying that, and they would traditionally be the people to do that. Very few people are saying maybe we should have a no-fly zone or something, but they're a small minority. Pretty much everyone seems to agree that the only response at this point is some form of sanctions. No one is saying we go to war over this. Do you, do you agree with that? Are you part of that consensus? Yeah, I don't think we want Western troops uh, on the ground fighting against Russia. Uh, there are maybe other ways of dealing with the situation once we know how this particular situation works out, right? This is going to end at some point where that border ends up being, you know, do, do we have UN peacekeepers making sure that Russia doesn't carry on? That may be a conversation for another time. But in terms of what we should do, Freddie, the, the question that people, everyone asks me this question, and I always ask him a question in return, which is, what do you want, right? Because it's like that scene from Alice in Wonderland where Alice meets the Cheshire cat. And she says to the cat, 
where should I go from here? And the cat says, well, that depends on where you want to get to. And Alice says, well, I don't mind where I get to. And the cat says, well, it doesn't matter then what, where you go, right? What do you want? If we agree, which I think you and I do, and I suspect a lot of other people do, that a kind of more confident assertion of the good values that the West has developed would be a good thing. And with that comes some kind of, you know, geopolitical assertion, I suppose, to, to defend and protect them. What does that look like? No one seems to have that answer. Well, the answer is very simple. Then you have to accept the, the gauntlet that Vladimir Putin has thrown down. He has essentially said we are in Cold War II and we have to act accordingly. Which means what? You have to. Well, that depends on, again, on whether the West is willing to assert itself. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at olivenjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at olivenjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That may mean, as I say, uh, economic sanctions. It may mean putting peacekeepers in once we know where the border is going to be. It, mean, it may mean also that th these discussions are way above my or your pay grade. No offense to either of us. Uh, my point is broadly this. You have to accept reality before you know what you want to do about it, right? So the first thing we've got to do in the West is wake up from the slumber that we've been in for the last 20 years, where we've imagined and deluded ourselves into thinking that everyone everywhere thinks like us that everyone everywhere wants liberal democracy, that everyone everywhere just wants peace and trade and all of these wonderful things. And the most important thing is we find some unicorns and rainbows and sing Kumbaya together. That is not how the real world works. There are people coming and they want to take what we have. They want to take our top dog status in the world, whether that's Russia or China. And I don't blame them because all they're trying to do is what they see as being best for their people. They want to be rich. They want to be powerful. They want to be prosperous. And we are in that position and they want to replace us. That's as simple as that. It's a Game of Thrones world. It's a multipolar world where everybody is trying to win. And it looks 
like that has now become a reality. I mean, Russia is mm. doing this. We don't know when China may or may not go for Taiwan and test. Is there better than a date than today well, to do that? I, uh, we, well, I hope you're wrong, but I, I understand well, what I you mean. I hope I'm wrong too, but I, but I don't think I am. <laughs> like I've been hoping I'm wrong about Ukraine for the last eight years since 2014, because I said at the time, this isn't the end. If you let people like do this, they are going to become emboldened. The result of what you're saying, and I, I know you're saying this above your pay grade, I'm not asking you to design a new military strategy, but the thrust of it, as someone who cares about the kind of direction of our society, is that there are hostile, powerful actors out there, and that we need to become more powerful, fundamentally. And No, I don't think we need to become more powerful. Well, we, we, need to, we need to have hard well, power to repel them, and we need That's to be different. willing to use it. That's that's different. See, the American military is by far and away the biggest and most powerful military in the world. The Western world is by far and away the most powerful alliance in the world. The question is, are we willing to use that power in any way? Are we willing to risk anything? Are we willing to risk gas supplies to Germany? Are we willing to risk all sorts of other things that we no longer get to have if we take a strong stance on this issue? Is the city of London willing to give up the billions of Russian criminal proceeds that get sifted through every year through the, 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 the legal firms and the banks and the state real estate market here in London? Are we willing to give all of that up initially? Are we willing to risk anything to defend ourselves and our values? My feeling as an answer to that is that you get pretty much a majority. If you did an opinion poll or talk to anyone, you would get a majority of people who would be willing to go tough on Russians in London and give up millions because there's no public support for that. The gas pipeline to Germany looks like it's already potentially in jeopardy. We'll see if that happens, but that, you know, they're going in that direction. Where it gets difficult is about human beings. So you say, okay, we might get a situation where we need UN peacekeepers on the ground. They're gonna come from some country and that country will include ours and at that point, you've got to have enough popular support to say, I'm going to send my son or the, my neighbor out to the Ukrainian border with a UN you know, jacket on. And I'm not confident that there would be that public support at this point. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I agree. I'm not calling for UN peacekeepers. I was just talking about the different options that might happen. What I'm saying to you is exactly what you've just said, which is NATO is dead, right? Because if you, and look, my wife is Ukrainian, right? And she called me up this morning and she was saying, well, you know, I hope the West takes strong sanctions on this. And, you know, they really need to stand up and, and defend. And I was like, yeah, I agree with you. But you're seven months pregnant. Would you like me to go and fight in Ukraine? And she was like, no. I was like, okay, well, whose husband should go and fight in Ukraine? Whose son, whose father should go and fight in Ukraine? No one wants that. But the question is, what's the difference between Ukraine, which is outside of NATO, and Lithuania or Estonia or Latvia, which are inside of NATO, do you want to go and fight to defend the sovereignty of Lithuania? How many people in the West do? This is going to be the big question, because ultimately, if sanctions, everyone agrees about sanctions, there's an argument, are they tough enough? Will they work? You know, is the Russia economy now sufficiently independent with gas and with China helping it that the sanctions don't bite, blah, blah, blah? We'll try. I don't think anyone thinks Putin is suddenly going to turn around, do a 180 and say, oh, you've, you know, you've, you've closed three Russian banks, therefore I'm going to retreat from Ukraine. Things like gas pipelines, I think he must have factored that in because it was pretty obvious that would happen. So ultimately, 
I think the key question is when? What would the line be for Western countries like ours to be willing to send soldiers, real human beings, that, that are Russian men in uniform in, within Ukraine right now today? You know, Putin's done it. So you talk about, are we willing to assert our hard power? America has the biggest army in the world. What we're talking about is at some point down the line, would you be supportive of troops? What's your, what's your answer to that? I, I don't have an answer to that, Freddie, because we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I don't want World War Three to start. I care very passionately about Ukraine and my friends there and Russia and my friends there. I don't want these two countries to be at war. It ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. But the problem with all of this is, Freddie, is you don't get to choose when to sol send soldiers into war necessarily. Sometimes it is thrust upon you and you don't have a choice, which is why I can't commit and go, well, you know, if they invade France, then we definitely got to go and defend the French. I don't think that would be a popular position in Britain either, frankly, historically speaking. Let me ask a slightly different um, question, which is, I've noticed in the last 24 hours already, the political battle in the UK has already moved to refugees. Uh, the social media streams are full of now, Britain must show its resolve by committing to take X number of refugees. There must be a high number. There will be millions of Ukrainians who are dispossessed and displaced. We must show our solidarity with the Ukrainian people by welcoming as many of them as possible into the UK. What's your response to that? Uh, I don't think that's the right approach at all. I don't think that's necessary. I think there may be individual people who uh, who flee the this eastern part of Ukraine or other parts of Ukraine that are invaded, who would be a genuine risk of murder or persecution by the people who take over. But uh, I, I, I don't understand why the West reaction to every crisis is to sort of decide that we must punish ourselves with further uncontrolled mass migration uh, that is going to disrupt our countries even more than they already are. Part of the problem we have is we're disunited because of the constant churn in our societies where we don't really have an identity that we can all say we're all British because there's been a lot of disruption to our society because we've not encouraged people to integrate. So yet another wave of people uh, who are gonna uh, come is unnecessary. People in Ukraine uh, can flee to, to, to Western Ukraine. There are countries in the region which will be able to uh, absorb that. I don't think that's the right approach at all beyond individual cases. But you're, are, you're of Russian heritage, your wife is Ukrainian. Do you not feel yeah. like, I mean, you, you, you're a highly successful immigrant. Why would the same opportunity not be offered to others? Well, it's not the same opportunity. I didn't come here as a refugee. Uh, and I didn't come here as, a, as after a gigantic, uh, rapid shift in the immigration patterns into this country. I came here in 1995 at a time when 3% of the British public thought that immigration was a major issue. Uh, during the Blair government, more people came into Britain that had come into this country since 1066, Freddie. We've seen a gigantic wave of immigration, which has raised that issue in the public conscious list. And look, the economic migrants, I've got no problem with them. I'm an economic migrant, but you've got to follow the rules. And I don't think that we should carry on with that. And every time there's a problem somewhere in the world, we suddenly decide that we must take a huge number of refugees. I think if there are people who are genuinely at risk of persecution, uh, we should offer the help. And it could be a few thousand people who can come here and integrate. I've got absolutely no problem with that. But to say that we should take millions of Ukrainians is absurd. I mean, it's kind of, it's something that we can control. I think that's part of the incentive, isn't it? It's, and, it and it's also something we can argue about.
which is where we feel comfortable. It can be a nice left-right battle. Everyone can shout on Twitter about it. Oh, we should have 5,000 or 15,000 or 100,000. Meanwhile, the war is happening the other side of Europe, and we're kind of aware that we have very little power to affect it in any way. Well, this is my point, is rather than the creating another refugee crisis for ourselves, why don't we actually think about how do we stop there being refugee crises like this? Right. Uh, and uh, that's the question for our politicians to deal with. It's, as I say, it's not for, for you and I necessarily. The problem is, and you know, we've been talking about it on trigonometry for many years, the caliber of our leaders has declined just in, in the most astonishing way. Uh, these are not Churchills. These are not Reagans. These are not Thatchers. These are not even Blairs at this point. These are very small feral creatures in some, engaged in some sort of reverse Darwinistic competition uh, to lead these two husks of political parties that represent no one. I don't disagree with you there at all. But I, mm. I just wonder whether that's also maybe one of those kind of easy reflexes at this point, which is to say, oh, it must be to do with our weak leadership. The West has got such shit politicians and everything. But the reality, as you've just laid out, is that Russia mm. is is being aggressive or the Russian government is expansionist in its mindset. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be trying to take advantage and expand its territory in some way. And that would be true whether we had good leaders or not. Really? Interesting. So uh, this is the uncomfortable question for sort of metropolitan liberals like you and I, Freddie, which is, would this have happened if the evil tweet, mean tweeting Donald Trump was still in power? That is, a, it's a very interesting counterfactual. The answer to that, I'm afraid, is very clear and very obvious. The, 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 it is an issue of weak leadership in the West because this would never would have happened under Donald Trump, who we were so uncomfortable with precisely because he was strong. That's why people hated him because he went around being brash and tough and said things that you're not supposed to say. That's why people hated him. That's why the media elites were so uncomfortable with him. And I'm by no means a fan or supporter of Donald Trump as just a neutral observer. This would never in a million years have happened if he was still he president. He put out that very strange and, uh, statement saying mm. how uh, sort of impressive Putin had been. But I, was, I wasn't quite sure what to make of that, to be honest. Did you see that? Well, he's correct. Of course, he, this is what people don't want to hear. Like people think I'm some this massive critic of Vladimir. I'm not. This isn't about Putin being this evil guy or Xi Jinping being this evil guy. Of course they're going to do this. If the West pulls out, of course they're going to do this. If the West is weak, of course they're going to do this. Like I said to you before, all these people want is the prosperity and the stability and the safety that we in the West enjoy. And they want to deliver it for their people. And if we refuse to assert our own dominance, they're going to come for so it. So the, the aspects of Trump that you think would have repelled Putin are basically a kind of unpredictability, kind of machismo or a sort of happiness using power and force, enjoying military. Is that, is that the kind of vibe? So we should be looking for leaders to replace these weaklings that we don't like with people with those attributes. Is this, is this really a... A wise plan? <laughs> well said, Freddie. Uh, it's not the wise plan. Uh, I don't think that every leader has to be like Donald Trump. I was not uh, advocating for him to be the leader now. What I'm saying is that he is a reflection of a broader phenomenon, which is we are deliberately choosing people who are weak and deliberately afraid of choosing people who are strong. Now, strength does not have to look in the, like the Donald Trump, this abrasive, 
constantly triggering everyone sort of way. There, there are different ways to be strong. There are ways to be strong in a way that is also understanding of people's concerns, but to reinforce the values that we in the West have. And there have been presidents and prime ministers in the past who have been able to articulate that vision in a way that was easier for people to hear. Uh, but in any presidential election and any prime ministerial election, you only have a choice between two candidates or three candidates. Um, so the choice of the last election was Joe Biden or Donald Trump, and Joe Biden was elected for one reason, one reason only, that he was not Donald Trump. Let me end with a little look into the future, Constantine Kissin style. Do you have any confidence that this is going to go well? Do you, do you see the kind of West pulling itself together, reasserting itself, uh, everything being fine in the end, or do you feel pessimistic? I don't see that far into the future, Freddie, I'm afraid. Uh, <laughs> there are certain things that were very easy to predict here, and a lot of people miss them, which I think is why we're having this conversation. But uh, there are a lot of things that are very difficult to predict. I, like I say, I think there are many people who've believed for quite some time that what they say on Twitter is true because they have 70,000 followers or 80,000 followers. And this has disabused many of us, I think, of that notion. And it's opened a lot of people's eyes. now. What happens once the eyes are open is not within my power to predict. We're going to see. This is this is the one thing I, I I hope people take away from our conversation is, and I, this is the most important thing in my opinion. This is not about Ukraine. This is about you. This is about you and your children and their children. This is going to run for decades, and the impact of this will be felt for decades on all of our lives. Uh, and how we react to this is the ultimate challenge to the West. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I, I do hope that uh, this has been enough of uh, this has been shock therapy enough that we start to wake up and start to realize what we need to do. Constantine, thanks for chatting to us. Let's do it again. Thanks for having me, Freddie. Pleasure. Thank you to Constantine Kissin for sharing the time and chatting to us. He runs a great YouTube channel over at Trigonometry. Do check it out. Uh, like him, I've been asking questions about which voices we should be trusting, which opinions are really relevant at a time like this when it's so much about brute force and realpolitik. But we are looking for them and I can tell you we've already found some really interesting people coming up next week who know a great deal about the area, a great deal about what's going on and hopefully will provide a different and illuminating perspective. Thanks for joining. This was Unheard. 